I am Zarina Dimitrova, a strategic partner and mentor to businesses in the process of transformation. Join me on Grow and Learn as we explore a range of topics from personal development and career advancement to relationship building and financial management. With practical advice, inspiring stories and expert interviews, we'll give you the tools you need to thrive in every aspect of your life. Join us as we share insights and strategies that can help you achieve your personal and professional growth objectives. Today, we're going to be speaking about sales, oh, and you can hear the exhale, sales, like most people don't really like sales, or especially people that are um, solopreneurs or small businesses, and they have to do sales themselves and provision of services themselves. Our guest today has a very interesting experience, near-death experience. He was in coma for more than 30 days, and um, out of this experience and the heightened perception that he had during um, his stay in coma, he was able to draw in very valuable insights onto how uh, human energy works when it comes to interacting with others and sales. But I'm going to let him speak because um, he's able to explain it much better than I am. I'm welcoming Craig Andrews. Zarina, thank you for having, having me. This is such a delight. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> me too, Craig. Me too. And especially that we had this conversation up front and I know a bit of your story, which is fascinating. I do want to bring up uh, the, the practical gifts for all our listeners, but, but there's so much spiritual value behind. So I'm going to ask you to start with this story first, although I initially intended otherwise, and we are going to reach the point of sales, but let's talk about the event that caused you to, uh, to come, come up with these insights that are so profound. Yeah, so I I got uh, COVID in uh, summer of 2021, and August 10th, I reached the point where I just had to go to the hospital. I was having trouble breathing, and they put me on oxygen, and I worked hard for 11 days to uh, to keep my oxygen level up to a level that that made them feel comfortable. And it was it was hard work, but I was doing it. And on the 21st day, they gave me a big shot of morphine that that all of a sudden um, I quit working and they had to call my wife in the middle of the night and uh, get her permission to put me on the ventilator. And so uh, but at the same time, they told her, they said, your husband's going to die. And the you know, for basically six weeks, I went into a coma. Uh, and there, it was kind of interesting when I woke up, I had all these dreams while I was in the coma. These dreams were actually my reality. They, they were what I believed to be true about the world. And when I woke up, I noticed a couple things. One was my, uh, my trust in the doctors had plummeted. My trust in the doctors had fallen through the floor. Well, my even you an overdose of morphine, I can totally understand. Well, and and unfortunately, it wasn't just that. Um, it turns out, you know, and for those who are wondering, when when folks are in comas, be careful what you say around them. They hear more than you think. Hmm. You know, and let me give you an example. This is kind of bizarre. Yes, you know, uh, so in Las Vegas. Uh, they built this gigantic uh, sphere or a dome, 
You know, it's basically a large sphere, spherical display. And that was opened, I think, in late 2023. Well, when I was in my coma in 2021, one of my dreams was I was trapped in a, a dome in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Fascinating. My guess is it made the news. Somebody was talking about building it, and they were talking about that around me. And it came into my dreams. And, you know, while my trust in the doctors fell through the floor, my trust in my wife went through the roof. When I woke up, I trusted her more than I ever had before. And what was interesting was what the doctors were saying around me and what my wife was saying around me during my coma were much different things. And I've actually repeated back to my wife word for word things that she said when I was in my coma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the other. Yeah. I mean, um, I have trained groups of people uh, in the silver method and um, and I use some NLP techniques. And I know that one of the techniques to train young children, because I have a small child, is to whisper in their ears at the moment of falling asleep when they're in uh, theta going into delta. And so probably while you were in coma, which is already deep unconsciousness, delta brainwave, uh, at some point you've come up to theta because... The brain doesn't operate always at a constant, right? So at these moments, you are very susceptible. And so you're able to hear. And then, of course, um, you, you can recreate what, what was said. So this doesn't surprise me at all because I've experienced it. And in these trainings of the uh, groups of people uh, in on the silver method, I have seen things that seem to most people uh, irrational or impossible or magical or woohoo or whatever, there's a very scientific base behind that. Of the transference of information is not simply through our uh, senses. Anyhow, <clears throat> yeah. I didn't want to hijack your story. I'm just saying. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's very insightful. I appreciate you sharing it because I didn't know that. And that helps me understand because messages without a doubt they came through uh by the way the number of people that died in my dreams are about the same number of people that died in the room next to me oh wow yeah so so you have full per perception i mean your consciousness was there yeah yeah the 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 one death additional i know when that happened i was on my way to surgery they were removing the feeding tube from my nose mm -hmm. and putting a feeding tube in my stomach and the reason I know that particular dream, I uh, I was in the I was up in the mountains and I was down in a valley in between the mountains, in a in an old village. And the patriarch of the village died, and he had to be taken out of the valley up the hill. And I was attached to him through a cable going through my nose. Oh, so. I have this cable being drugged through my nose as I go up the hill next to this dead man. Well, it turns out there was a day I had to go into surgery where they took my feeding tube out of my nose, which probably felt like a cable being pulled through my nose. And so I'm guessing when they were taking me to surgery or uh, I passed somebody that they were talking about somebody who just died or in surgery, they were talking about somebody who just died. Yeah. Just to comment on that, because our subconsciousness communicates, um, with uh, allegories, with archetypes, with pictures. And that's why in our dreams, not only during coma, but in our normal dreams, uh, we communicate with the field, with the 
field of, of consciousness through these uh, archetypal um, and allegorical, like different stories that we attach to a certain meaning. It doesn't mean that anything like this happened. A lot of people search for the meaning in, in a dream in the wrong place. You actually have to search for the archetype of what you're dreaming and not for the story itself. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, and and that's and that's exactly what you explained. the The allegory is the connection of you to the person of the village. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the dreams were reflecting all sorts of things from reality, but for me during that coma, that was my reality. Yeah. And so when I woke up, I had the most stupid argument with my wife that that I've ever had. And anybody that's been married has had a stupid argument with their spouse. But this is more stupid than all those. <laughs> so I'm in I'm in the hospital and I tell my wife, I said, I want to go home. She said, you can't go home. You can't walk. I said, I can too walk. She said, no, you can't. You can't walk. It's like, I can walk. And as a matter of fact, I've been up several times. She's like, you're in a hospital bed. You haven't gotten out of this bed. You can't walk. She never convinced me. I never convinced her. Now, the facts were overwhelming. You know, all the evidence was, no, I couldn't walk. I'm laying in a hospital bed. I, I'm not strong enough even to lift my own arms. I'm not strong enough to lift my own legs. And there's a giant tube coming out of my throat. But I was convinced that I could walk. And there was nothing she could tell me that would prove me wrong. And so we look at that and that's a broken belief system. And, you know, if, if we think about it, I bet you've had co uh, conversations with prospects where you're working with a, you know, a client and you tell them, here's the way things are. And they say, no, this is not the way they are. And you're like, can't you see the obvious, you know, and all the facts are on your side, but you can't, you still can't persuade them. And so it's really interesting that, you know, going through this experience, it gave me a perspective on how we try to convince people with facts and figures. We try to present the evidence and we think once we present enough evidence, they will, they will find see it. They, yeah, they will see it. Mm -hmm. Well, if my wife couldn't convince me I couldn't walk when I was laying in a hospital bed, couldn't lift my arms or legs, had a giant tube coming out of my throat and wasn't even strong enough to press the nurse call button. Whatever you're trying to convince your customer of, and they're not willing to accept, you're probably not going to persuade them either. They have a broken belief system just like I did. Now, here's what's really cool, is my wife got smart after that argument. And so the next argument was around the cell phone. I told her, I said, I want my cell phone. <laughs> you know, so I can call people. And she, she knew I wouldn't be able to use it. Mm -hmm. But instead of having a repeat of that argument, she used one method of, you know, that, of inception that I talk about. She handed me my phone. She said, sure, here you go. Here's your phone. And there's actually a picture of me laying in bed, sitting back, giant tube coming out of my throat, uh, not mobile, just kind of staring at the phone. And after a few minutes, I handed it back to her. So she won the argument. More importantly, she changed my broken belief system without saying a word. Mm -hmm. 
and and the method of inception you she used in that case was uh she became my cheerleader for my hopes and enabled me to try to do what i wanted to do so i could discover on my own oh wait a minute this is harder than it looked than i thought it was when i originally asked yeah okay so so tell us a bit about because you mentioned already the inception method and tell us a bit about uh like what you do, where your company is located, and you yourself, and um, and a bit about this method. How was it developed, and uh, did you practice it before your hospitalization or after? Yeah. So, so what I do, I'm a, I'm a marketing consultant and a fractional CMO, chief marketing officer, and I basically help people grow their businesses. And the people that I typically work with have high ticket offers with long sales cycles that require a high level of trust. And I'm good at my craft, but what I'm not good at is sales. I'm a marketer. I'm not a salesperson. And I was having problems getting business and it was having an impact on my life. It was having an impact on my marriage. And so I had to change something. And it hit me at one point that a the best sales pitch can't overcome a bad offer. But a great offer can overcome even the worst sales pitch. And so I thought, you know what? We're going to make an offer that's sort of like a mini project that helps them solve a problem, that has a few things to it. And we're going to sell them that. And we're going to structure it in a way that if you put it in front of a qualified buyer, they're going to say yes. And so I started working on that originally in 2017. And it took about 18 months for me to start getting something working. It, it looks easy at first. Mm -hmm. And we have models. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I'm sure there's some examples in Europe. Uh, in the US, one of the examples that we have is there was a company called Columbia House Records that had a, a deal where if you join their record club, they will give you your first 13 albums for a penny. So if you're the type of person that wants to build a record collection back when records were popular the first time, mm -hmm. for, for one penny, they'll get you 13 steps closer to your goal. And so that was kind of my model. Well, it turns out when you're selling a complex service, um, that type of offer doesn't work. It has to be a complex offer. But that's what I did to just start putting food on the table. And, and so I had it in work before I went in the hospital. But it was really interesting while I was in the hospital. I and coming out of the hospital and I started thinking about what happened and tried to make sense of it. Why did I have so much? Yeah. You know, why did the, my trust in my wife go up exponentially while my trust in the doctors fell? And that was one of the things that hit me was, oh, our first time offers work because it changes the way people feel about you. It's like the Maya Angelou quote. People will forget what you said. They will forget what you did but they will never forget how you made them feel. And these first time offers, these mini projects have a deep impact on how people feel when they're structured correctly. You're actually releasing uh, natural hormones in their body, especially the hormone oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. And so that's one thing that the coma taught me about. The other thing is the foolishness of trying to argue with somebody when they have a broken belief system. If my wife couldn't convince me that I couldn't walk, whatever you're trying to convince your customer of, 
you're not going to be able to convince them until they come to that realization on their own. Your job is to help them find the path there. Mm-hmm. All right. So <clears throat> to, to help them, re- to help the customers release oxytocin, you need to make them happy. How do you make them happy? <laughs> well, in these, um, a few ways, one, these first time offers, these mini projects, they deliver disproportionate value to price. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of what makes it irresistible. That's part of what makes it work is it delivers so much value for such a cheap price. And it's, and the price is always a impulse purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, we would say the, the money in your wallet, if it exceeds the amount of money in your wallet, it's probably priced too high. Uh, in the B2B setting, if somebody has to ask permission to spend the money, it's priced too high. Mm-hmm. If somebody will ever be held accountable for how that money is spent, it's priced too high. And so the first place that you make them happy, the first place you delight them is by delivered disproportionate value to price. And so they just feel good because you gave them a great value. The other reason they feel good, and this is a very important one, is of the deliverables, and there should be a minimum of four, maximum of five, at least one of the deliverables helps them solve a problem in their life. And when you help people solve problems, that causes the release of oxytocin in the body. And that's the bonding hormone that bonds baby to mother. Mm-hmm. And so you can release that hormone in somebody when you come in and you help them solve a problem in their life. And that builds... What kind, is this any kind of a problem or a business problem? Business problem. It should always be focused on these offers are always pointed directly at them purchasing your high ticket offer. Right. And so it's a step in that direction. Now, because you want them to purchase your high ticket offer, don't solve the big problems for your small price. Mm-hmm. You know, solve, a, solve a smaller problem, but make sure it's a real problem. It's a pain point that they have in their life. Yeah. Okay. Can you, can you give us an example of what a small problem is or of a mini case that you've done for? Yeah. So, um, uh, well, I'll I'll start with one of my favorite offers that I put together. Uh, It was a commercial development, um, uh, commercial developer. And when we started working with him, you know, initially I thought his his customers were people that needed office space or commercial buildings. And the reality is, no, his customers are investors they're looking for investment vehicles. And in in the US, I don't know what they do in Europe, but in the US, we have this concept called a, a family office. And it's usually used for very, very, very wealthy people. So if you have 10, 20, 30 million dollars, instead of taking that money and putting it in, you know, mutual funds or ETFs or something like that, you give it to a family office and the family office, uh, diversifies it across different types of investments. But one of the problems, one of the pain points that the family offices have is they have to find places to invest their clients' money that is uh, both gives better than average returns, but is also a, an acceptable risk. And so the pain point is finding those and vetting those to make sure that those are good. So for them, we actually recommended um, 
that they take a slice of shares when they start a new project, they take a slice of shares that are exclusively for uh, next generation investors. Mm -hmm. And so their average project size was $40 million. And we said, I told him, I said, I want you to take half a million dollars of shares, special shares, and you put them in five buckets. And you go up to these people that run family offices and say, you know, we've never worked together before. I could talk to you about the returns that you'll get and we could go back and forth. But we really believe the best way for you to explore whether or not we're a good partner uh, moving mm -hmm. forward is for you to buy one of these small buckets of shares. It's not a lot of exposure to you. And as a matter of fact, if you buy $50,000 worth of shares, we will immediately double your client's uh, equity in the in the project, and we will match that with another $50,000 of shares. So if you spend $50,000 of shares, you can go back to your client today and report that you doubled their money mm -hmm. and that you're exploring this new investment. And if it works out well between us, you know, you like the way we work with you and, um, you know, and it's mutual, then in our next investment, we will let you invest a larger number of shares. And you can do this while not feeling like you're jeopardizing your client's money. Mm -hmm. So see how that solves a small problem. You know, it solves a problem. They have to find a, they are always looking for new ways to invest that give good returns. And here's a way of solving that problem while also taking out all the risk. Mm -hmm. So so you're solving the problem for the developer in this case, who is your client, not for the family office? Well, my solution for the developer was helping them build the offer. Mm -hmm. Their solution for the family office- I understand, yeah. Was helping them find new investments without taking on unacceptable risk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we would if we would break down the process of, of this offer, what would it look like? Uh for that for that investor or just uh generally any... generally for the mini offer. Yeah. So uh, the first thing we mentioned already is it's an impulse purchase. That means coins in the cushion, in the couch, money in the wallet, or the B2B equivalent of that. Yeah. If they have to ask permission to spend the money, it's priced too high. Mm -hmm. If somebody will ever hold them accountable for how it's spent, it's priced too high. If they have to do a mental calculation to figure out if it's a good deal, it's priced too high. So that takes us to the second thing is it has to have disproportional value to price. And we usually want to have 10 times value to what you're charging for it. So then they don't have to do the mental calculation to figure out if it's a good deal. It has to solve a problem. A lot of people get this one wrong. This is one of the top ones that people get wrong. And uh, I'll have a lot of consultants say, well, we'll do an audit. We'll go in, we'll do an audit for them. The problem with an audit is Audit doesn't solve a problem. It simply highlights the problems that are there. Uh -huh. Other people say, well, we do an assessment. And my response is, assessment is just a nice word for audit. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that's something you need as a part of it. And what you do is you just pair it. You know, if you do the audit or the assessment, then you also need to pair it with a solution 
to that. You know, you have to solve a problem. But you don't want to solve all of their problems. You want to leave the big problems unsolved and you want to naturally lead to the next step. So that's kind of the general structure. There's a few other details in structuring it, like it has to have a minimum of four, a maximum of five deliverables. One of the deliverables, at least one of the deliverables, needs to be the work of a co-working session, a product of a co-working session where you work on the outcome together. And more importantly, it feels like it was their ideas that led to the deliverable, not your ideas. And so from a neuro, I know you're, you study neuroscience. There's a couple things happening when you do that. One, it triggers a couple cognitive biases, uh, the Ikea effect and the endowment effect. You know, so the Ikea effect, when they invest labor into it, their perceived value of it is higher than it really is. The endowment effect is now they have a sense of ownership and because they own it, they, they value it more highly than they did before they owned it. The other thing that's really interesting is when it comes time to move forward, for them to not move forward, since these were their ideas, for them to not move forward would require that they reject their own ideas. Mm -hmm. And so there's a very deep neuroscience approach to that. Uh, so like I said, four or five deliverables, at least one of the deliverables has to be the product of a co-working session where they're primarily responsible for the final deliverable. Uh, for the ideas that go into it. One of the deliverables is what we call a scarecrow. So uh, I don't know if they have scarecrows in Europe, but oh, in yeah. the US, yeah, they do. A scarecrow is invisible to your ideal client, but your non-ideal client sees the scarecrow and it sends them away. And so the scarecrow is there to re... Once you, when you're building the offer, you want to understand the traits of a non-ideal client and you want to build something in the offer that will repel the non-ideal client. <laughs> oh, that's a good approach. Yeah. And so it's... What's an example of a scarecrow? Let's say for the example that you already gave. Uh, you know, that was before we started putting scarecrows in offers. And I, I don't I didn't design one in that. And I'd have to think about about what I would put into it. We did another offer for uh somebody that works with uh companies. Basically, it turns uh turns people into podcasters as a, a way of driving business conversations for um you know networking and what have you, and to ultimately drive business. And one of the things that when we were working with them. And I'm sure you, this resonates with you for you to do well in podcasting, whether you're guesting or whether you're hosting, you have to have a giving mentality. You have to be a generous person. And so the scarecrow that we put into the, their offer was that we would help you uh, identify and refine your generosity plan. Mm -hmm. and, and it was basically saying, Hey, we're going to, you know, whether you, whether you're a guest or a host, the way you're going to make it in this world is by being generous and giving uh, giving before you receive. And so we're going to actually help you formalize this plan where you're a very generous person. Well, somebody that's not generous sees <laughs> the, the generous person's like, oh, thank you. That's wonderful. They don't see the scarecrow as uh -huh. a scarecrow. Right. The non-generous person sees that and is like, 
nah, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought I was going to give you money and you were going to give me clients. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the deliverables should be that. Uh, another one, this is going to sound really complicated. And I promise, I promise I will immediately simplify it. Your final deliverable needs to be the solution to a problem that is uniquely created by the successful delivery of the preceding deliverables. Okay, I see your eyes rolling. That's too complicated. <laughs> let, me, let me give you an example. And I think it will make sense when you hear this example. If when you buy a boat, you have a new problem. Mm-hmm. You, you actually have a somewhere. lot of new problems, but let me yeah. talk about the fun one. Uh -huh. If I if I sold boats for a living and somebody came onto my boat yard, I would tell them, we're going to find the perfect boat for you. But once we get that boat, you're going to have a new problem. You're going to need a place to dock that boat. Mm. Well, guess what? We know all the marinas in the area. We know all the yacht clubs in the area. We know their prices. We're going to help you find the perfect place for you to dock your boat. Mm -hmm. We will make the introductions. As a matter of fact, if you would like, we will have your boat delivered to your slip. So all you and your family have to do is grab your picnic basket, grab your cooler, get on the boat and have a fantastic day. As I was describing that, were you picturing yourself getting on a boat? I'm buying a boat from you right now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What I did was I, I shifted your mindset from the perspective of considering buying a boat to how you're going to enjoy the boat. I gave you a picture of what mm -hmm. enjoying the boat looks like. And I promised to help you solve the next problem that gets you to the enjoyment of the boat. Mm -hmm. And so... The, the, the first answer, that's the technical answer. That's the one that we have to put in textbooks. Of It solves a problem that's uniquely created by the successful delivery of the preceding deliverables. But what that looks like is, in practice, is the boat example. I'm helping you solve the problem. What confused me was the preceding deliverables, but these are actually the deliverables of the final project. That you uh, of, the, of the mini project. Right. Ah, the mini project. Mm -hmm. uh, the mini project. So what would be the big project of the boat sale then? Well, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. so that's that yeah. I guess that's that's where my example falls. Ah, okay, from. got it. Okay. But it's it's more illustrating the 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 reason I use that as an example is it's it shows the power of moving somebody's mindset from considering buying a boat to mm -hmm. actually picturing themselves being on the boat. Yeah. And that's the effect that that final deliverable does mm -hmm. is it puts them in a mindset of starting to picture what success looks like. Yeah. And so from, from a marketing standpoint, let me just answer this from our world. Yeah. The only reason somebody calls me is they have a revenue problem. Yeah. You know, so when somebody calls, there are two things I know. I Before I even talk to them, I know two things about them. One, they have a revenue problem because nobody gets on a, a sales call with a marketer unless they have a revenue problem. Mm -hmm. The second thing I know is they have a bad marketing experience in their past. Just like if you if you're if you're going out and dating, 
you had a bad dating experience at some point. And so when they come in, I know that they've had a bad marketing experience and I know they have a revenue problem. So when I'm engaging them, I'm not trying to sell them you know, because we're not particularly cheap. I'm not trying to sell them on our poor offer mm -hmm. because I know that they had a bad marketing experience in their past. And my job right then is to help them remove risk and become comfortable with me. Mm -hmm. I know they have a revenue problem and they probably don't, it's probably tied to a few things in marketing. And so I've structured a standard first time offer that helps them solve some problems, helps them identify uh, the language they should be using to sell, helps them identify where they're going to get traffic, where they're going to get leads from, helps them uh, identify some of the pieces that they need to carry that out. You know, so we're actually putting together solutions for them. And the final deliverable is a 90-day execution plan. And we just say it this way. When you get all of this, you're going to find it overwhelming. And you, the biggest question you're going to ask is, what should I focus on first? Well, guess what? We're going to give you an execution plan that helps you identify the things you should do first to get the biggest impact on your business. Mm -hmm. So you see how that shifts their mindset to, okay, at the end of this mini project, I'm going to have more ideas for implementation. I'm actually going to have it in a binder. And I'm going to have more ideas for implementation than I could possibly take on. He's going to help me figure out which ones to focus on. See how that shifts the mindset. And then our core offer is actually executing on those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So were these already the five uh, recommended uh, components of the mini case? So mm -hmm. for us, our five components for this particular offer, we do a gap analysis, um, which actually some would call it an audit. Again, we, we don't use the word audit. That's a banished term. Uh, we call it a gap analysis, but then we pair it with, here's how you fill in the gaps. So that's mm -hmm. part of what they get. So that, that's actually the fourth deliverable. First deliverable is we're going to identify the gaps. Fourth deliverable is we're going to show you how to fill those gaps. Uh, the second deliverable is we're going to help you find the language to communicate to people that communicates the transformation that you bring to their lives. And it's that transformation language that's going to do the most to move your business. Uh, the third deliverable is we're going to tell you what um, what channels you're going to find your leads through. And then the final deliverable is we're going to give you a plan to help you prioritize how you execute on those things. Mm -hmm. Does it pay off? It, it's, it seems to me a bit like, um, like the projects they have for houses, you know, uh, like a construction um, a company comes and they offer you a project that only they can execute or something like that. Um, what is the success rate with this methodology? Uh, sales success rate. So, yep. yeah. So roughly 50% of the people that we present our first time offer to buy it. Mm -hmm. And we actually don't want to increase that because if you're getting a good diversity of leads for your business, some of those leads that are coming through are either going to be bad clients or unqualified. Mm -hmm. And so the first time offer is actually a filter also. 
to help filter out people who are uh, what we call in the U.S. tire kickers. They're not they're not serious. They just they're happy to waste a lot of your time gathering information while not actually paying mm -hmm. for anything. Mm -hmm. It filters out them. It filters out people who, you know, sometimes we have people that come through and uh, their boss told them they had to get three proposals. And so they call us. They've already made their decision who they're going to use. Yeah. But they want us to put together a proposal to fulfill the needs of their boss. It filters out them. Um, it filters out people who are pretending to have uh, more authority or more money than they have. Mm -hmm. It, you know, it, it just filters out all sorts of people. So 50% of the people that we present the first time offer to buy it. And that, and we have no goal to increase that uh, higher. As a matter of fact, I've seen, there was one, uh, there's one period of time where it crept higher and started making me nervous. And then sure enough, the back end conversion rate was falling because what happened, we had a referral source that was priming our, our, our leads. Mm -hmm. He would say, Hey, when you call Craig, he's going to offer a mini project, mm -hmm. whatever you say, say yes to that. Because if you don't say yes, you know, he won't work with you. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we had people saying yes, that should have said no. Um, then on the back what I end, meant is what is the conversion after the mini case? 80%. 80. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the other thing it does. So if you're a consultant, think about this. A lot of consultants will spend 10, 15, 20 hours pursuing a prospect. If it's a really high ticket, they'll spend even more. We spend one hour on the discovery call. And at the end of the discovery call, we offer this, this offer. And for those that say yes, in the project, in the process of delivering this mini project, we invest another five hours. So altogether, we're at six hours with an eighty percent closing rate. Mm -hmm. um, the first half that don't move forward, we've only invested one hour into that. Mm -hmm. we, we're not investing the five, ten, twenty hours, you know, to work that prospect, figure out if they're qualified, what have you. We come to a nice, clean decision at the end of one hour. And we use that time, that remaining time, to go serve other clients or to work on some aspect of our business. Mm -hmm. And you actually wrote a book also on this approach. Can you show us and tell us? Yeah, so mm -hmm. that book is titled Make Sales Magical. Mm -hmm. uh, you can buy it on Amazon and pretty much any, uh, any country that has Amazon. And it's a quick read. It's uh, probably about two hours. Uh, at the advice of one of my mentors, he said, Craig, keep it around 20,000 words. I think it's 22,000 words, but uh, it's a quick read and it breaks it down and shows you some of the uh, some of the examples. At the beginning of the call, we talked about uh, methods of inception, how to change people's belief systems. We talk about three different methods of changing people's belief systems that once they... Once they come to that truth on their own, that's a truth that they will hold on to. You don't have to persuade them. You don't have to worry about them slipping away. Mm -hmm. they, that is their truth and they cleave to it. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Very insightful. Um, and you also wrote another book co-authored with your wife, which is a bit different than the first one. Yes, this is titled Hope That Won't Die. It's also on Amazon. And my 
My wife and I wrote that about our journey through COVID. Uh, it's in three sections. Section one is Craig's journey. I tell the story up until they shot me full of morphine and it was lights out. Uh, section two is Karen's journey. She steps back a few days to the day I walked into the hospital and tells the story all the way until I leave the hospital. And the third section is lessons from the journey. And my hope is regardless of what people believe, and I'm sure you have a diversity of listeners, my hope is that we could at least agree that some things were done wrong and that we should learn. You know, COVID was a huge <clears throat> impact on the world, left a big mark. Right. And, and there's a few lessons I think we need to learn. Oh, yeah. That. And so section three is lessons from the journey. Mm -hmm. Lessons, uh, personal lessons or lessons about the system and about the way things work in the world? Yeah, more the latter way things, <laughs> way things work in the world. And, um, you know, there were some, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and this could be a whole nother discussion, a whole nother podcast, but there are some lessons we seem doomed to learn again and again and again. And unfortunately, some of the lessons that we hopefully relearn from the last four years were lessons that we should have learned 80 years ago. You know, we actually... What are some examples? What do you mean by that? 80, what happened 80 years ago? So 1947, a very important... A uh, document was created called the Nuremberg Code. Mm, yeah. And it said there are certain things you should never do, even if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we crossed the line. Yeah. Uh, the, the Actually, the lawyer who... Um, the German lawyer who was the... I forgot his name at the moment. There's a German lawyer who started a case against uh, the WHO and a few other uh, uber governmental organizations. And unfortunately, he is now jailed. He was brought back from somewhere in South America where he was with his wife. And, uh, and he's now in jail in Germany. I don't know for what. They're, they're expecting his release. Um, but he was the only one. It's just his name escaped me at the moment. He was the only one who actually uh, started the case already during the pandemic uh, I think in 2021 he's a very famous lawyer um, he had he had won the case against Volk, Volkswagen um, that had produced some very har harmful exhaust uh, on on one of their models wow yeah 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 and and sadly that's what we've done we've the the people who cried out and said, wait a minute, we're violating some ethical standards. We, instead of thanking them for raising the flag, we've, we've ruined their lives. Mm. And, and whatever, and again, I'm sure there's a diversity of, of thoughts and beliefs uh, of people listening, but we build ethical guidelines for a reason. And the argument is usually, well, we're in unprecedented times. I've got news. It's for the unprecedented times. Yeah. 
that we create right. these ethical guidelines. Right. Every all the laws were overwritten everywhere in the world on a, on every possible level. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And and the reality is, yeah, <laughs> different different thought. But if you ever hear somebody say, "This is unprecedented," therefore we must do blank. Uh huh. Whatever, whatever that is that we must do. First off, no, it's not unprecedented. There's some some event in history that resembles it close enough mm -hmm. to know that no, this is not unprecedented. And what will ultimately happen is society will eventually regret agreeing to doing whatever they did because it was an unprecedented time. If you mm -hmm. look at any time, that's the case. It it that's how it always works out. And you know, and the fact is we we've We've written laws, we've built ethical standards over time to protect our behavior during the unprecedented times or yeah. the times that we say is unprecedented. And, and so that's the... Um, and yet these moments are always used to overwrite uh, laws and to change even things in the constitutions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's done out of fear. It's mm -hmm. done out of fear. Fear is a powerful motivator. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, it's done for the wrong reason. I, I recalled the name of uh, the German lawyer. His, his name is Rainer Fulmich. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's gonna be out. But uh, he had the, he had the case submitted in in the High Canadian Court, in the uh, International Court in the Hague. Um, yeah, and a few other places. Yeah. So before we finish, Craig, I wanted to show something that I've. Uh, this episode has been sponsored by this magic drink. <laughs> it is magic, actually. Magic mind drink. It's for people who are struggling with mental productivity. And uh, as you know, I also have the other channel, Heal and Learn, where I talk a bit more about health, mental health, um, mind control, your own mind control. So this will help you tremendously if you want to put yourself in a flow state, if you want to have access to these alpha levels that you need for creativity, let me tell you a bit what's in it. It's all organic teas. There's organic matcha, green tea, organic agave, passion fruit, natural vanilla, red beet. So it's all organic things. And um, I've had these. So I, I received a pack of 15 first, like this one. And I had it all. And I enjoyed it so much and I felt tremendous. And then uh, the, the pack finished. So I ordered the new one, but it took a while because the customs in Austria stopped the package. So while I was waiting, I was actually, um, I felt the difference. It's not like uh, there's an abstinence, like if you're on a drug or like uh, almost addicted to coffee, it's not like that. But I did feel the, um, the ease was not there. As, as it was during the day, like my day was really flowing. I'm not kidding you. This is not because like, don't think that that uh, I'm doing this because of the sponsoring. I really enjoy that. Actually, the drink is, it tastes good. It's mild and it does put me in the flow. It makes me happy. So <laughs> if anybody wants to give it a try and moreover, get rid of too much excessive drinking of coffee, which is what I used, I used to do. I recommend it. I have a discount code, which I'll also put below. All right, Craig, um, thank you for, for um, 
waiting for this uh, for, for me to finish this pitch about magic minds no it sounds <laughs> sounds fascinating i hope people get it yeah i do enjoy it it it, it boosts energy crush, uh, crush procrastination elevate mental clarity i mean of course the, these are marketing lines but from my experience it really does put me at ease and i am usually uh, i i do meditations not super regularly but i do i'm mindful um i don't overexert myself and yet i did feel the difference there's a huge difference when when you when your body is also at ease excellent yeah it sounds good yeah yeah all right um craig uh you sent me a link uh, which i will put below what can people find on this link it, it's just a contact form where people can contact you or what is it? Uh, it's two things. One is a guide to how to build first-time offers. Uh, so it took me a long time to figure out this process, made many mistakes. And so if somebody's interested in building their own, this will help them avoid some of the mistakes that I made. Uh, the other thing that they get when they uh, respond to that link is they get 23 days access to our course on how to build a first-time offer. And the reason we limit it to 23 days is we study human behavior and we know that if we give you unlimited access you'll sign up but you'll never take the course and your life will not be changed we're in the business of changing lives and we found it and we see it in the analytics that when we put a 23-day limit on there people come in they consume the content and that's our goal so, so it's actually a course it the is offer, excuse me so it's two things one thing is a guide um kind of a guide on how to build the offers and the other thing is a course on how to build the offers. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you very much for your generous sharing, for, for the giving. <laughs> Thank you, Zarina. Uh, this has been this a delight. Was part of the podcasting, the, the giving that you mentioned? One of the oh, yeah. of the... Well, that's of funny. The... It's one of the things I love about the podcast community. Uh, everybody here is very, very generous and... And I went, I went, when I show up, I want to show up with generosity as well. Fantastic. All the best. And uh, I'll put the link below to your link. I enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. All aspects of this, the business aspects, the, the insights on neurology. Thank you. Zarina, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.